let's get going here. Well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to KYRS 88.1, 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour, and I'm one of your hosts, Mike Malsom. I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. Eric, I'm going to let you introduce our guest because he is a, well, he's an acquaintance for both of us, but a much longer acquaintance of yours. Who do we have today? Well, we have Mark Robbins, and uh, welcome, Mark. Thanks. Hi, you guys. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm curious because um, Mike was the one who suggested you, Mark, and I'm wondering which which aspect of what Mark does made you think he'd be good for the show. Was it the comedy? Was it the commercials? What was the part that made you think he'd be good for the show? Well, I was thinking of Mark because as I'm watching uh, a lot of football um, and it's kind of getting into the playoffs and now we're heading to the Super Bowl, one thing that has kind of uh, stood out in just about every game I've watched through the playoffs is some guy, you know, getting pulled over to the side of the road driving a Porsche <laughs> and uh, asked, being asked for his license and registration. So, and of course, it's, um, you know, our friend Mark doing his uh, Northern Quest commercials, of which he has kind of become a Spokane celebrity uh, through the whole commercial thing. So I thought this would be a good time to, hey, let's let's talk to Mark. I know he's got a background. He does a lot of comedy, a lot of commercials. He's an actor, but he also has played in a band and, uh, you know, uh, and I believe writes comedy and, and just involved in a lot of stuff that entertains the Spokane area as well. <laughs> as yeah, well, let's, let's talk about the first one that I think everybody would know Mark from. It's the Northern Quest commercials. You've been, how long have you been doing those, Mark? Uh, I think it's nine years. Wow. Okay. And before that, you were Gravity for um, uh, uh, Silverwood. Silverwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so you've been doing this for nine years, and and you're you're exclusive now, right? You're like you're like the Northern Quest guy, and you can't be any other guy because they they got their hooks in you, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in in this region, I could. Yeah. I, uh, I could be a big deal in Chicago too, yeah. but I'm <laughs> well, not. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> uh, so um, obviously, uh, there are a couple of questions that always come up. First is, how did you get into it? How did you get connected with Northern Quest and doing those commercials? Um, well, I when I when I moved to back to Spokane after college. My son is 22, so it was about 23 years ago, probably. Um, I went to a cattle call that I saw in the newspaper because I wasn't doing any acting. I didn't wasn't really aware of anything that was going on in Spokane uh, that I could be a part of, and I just you know I I knew it was a way that people I'd been working with in Seattle made money and I did it at a really fortuitous time because all of those people who were working for North by Northwest, um, they all just kind of blew up and started their own production companies. And so I got to know, got familiar or a core group of people got familiar with me early on. And then they kind of in this region went on to, to start a whole bunch of things, you know, not the least of which was North by Northwest. I mean, that was who I was. um, I went to the cattle call for, and I got a job shortly thereafter and 
Um, and so, you know, that's how I got into the commercial acting stuff. And you mentioned working in Seattle. What were you doing in Seattle? I was, I was improvising. So I went to Evergreen. I lived in Olympia and I would drive on the weekends to, um, the market theater, which is underneath the Pike place market where the, now it's where the gum wall was, but I was there before the gum wall, but the gum wall was the people waiting in line for the show that I was in, put their gum up on the, on the, on the wall there. So I think that started right at the end of when I was there. So I was living in Olympia, going to uh, the market theater as an improviser in their theater sports show. I didn't do any other shows there. I was just an improviser. They had other scripted things and kind of fringe theater things that they did. And I never was a part of that, just partially because memorizing scripts. I know you're like that. Eric, it's just I hate it's it. like my worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. Terrorizes and, me. And you, um, you worked with a with um, a famous person, and then I, I, I maybe I don't want to lead you too much, but there's a really funny story related to this guy you worked with in Seattle, uh, and, and related to the baby bar. Would you tell oh, yeah. us that story? That's a really funny story. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Joel McHale was a part of the ensemble that uh, when I was at uh, Unexpected Productions is the name of the, the company the, at the Market Theater. And, you know, Joel went on to become a big deal. He did a bunch of national commercials and then he got community and he had the soup and, and all of that. And then uh, he came to the Opera House and did a stand-up set at the Opera House. And I didn't even know he did stand-up comedy. I think I think it's part of his. Uh, well, he told he talked about that that it it was part of his just sort of maintaining his uh, fan base. Is he would do these stand-up things? I mean, he's a funny guy, so it was great. Um, but so um, another friend of mine who was a big fan of the soup wanted to uh, meet him as well. So she's a teacher at LC as well. So she and I and um, our spouses went to the baby bar and waited for him to sign all of his books. And then they uh, and then he came to the baby bar and we were sitting there and this student, uh, former student walked in or that should I'm spoiling the story. But this guy walked in, this young guy, and he looks over and gets kind of wide eyed at our table. And and he goes, Mrs. Showalter. Mr. Robbins, what are you guys doing in a bar? And Joel was just, he was, he was angry because, you know, here is by far the most, one, probably the most famous person in town sitting in the, <laughs> at the table with us. And we were the big deal. So. And he is the least famous person at the table at that time. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> but, oh, I, I'll say this. Joel recently came back to the um, comedy club in the, you know, the Spokane Comedy Club. And my wife and I went. I didn't contact Joel. I haven't talked to him in a long time. But his show got over, and I wanted to say hello. And there were other comedians who were working, and they were so um, 
it, it was really awkward, this really bizarre status play where they would not let me say hello to him. Like, it, it was almost like I was this creepy fan that was going to try to assault him or steal something from him. Like, I had to stand outside forever, and I was sweaty and <laughs> uncomfortable, and I was so mad, I, I, you know, but I was just trying to be nice. And then finally I got in and talked to him in the green room. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable. Well, it was the opposite. Actually- Right, right. Yeah, you were the chump at that point. <laughs> yes. um, you mentioned, so, um, you you know, I teach at Lewis and Clark, and that's how you and I met, because you did an experience with me um, at Lewis and Clark, and we worked together, and we've worked together for a long time. But I don't know, so you've taught at Lewis and Clark for about 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah, what, 20 and, or 21, I don't know. But you came to remember. teaching a little bit later. Um, why did, I mean, how did you get to um, the decision to become an English teacher? Um, I think I knew I wanted to be a teacher pretty early on. I just hated school when I got out, when I finished high school and I wasn't a great student and I I just wanted to go and do something else for a little while. And so I did a bunch of, uh, just weird jobs for, for a few years and then um, moved to Spokane. And then when I was in Spokane, I was a big fan of, of uh, theater sports, the show that I was eventually a part of. But in high school, we would go and watch the show and I was a huge fan. And so when some people from Gonzaga University not guts, but they there were people who were in that Gonzaga University theater sports group had an audition for a new uh, a new cast that wasn't just Gonzaga students, and I went and auditioned for that, and that was when I got into it. Yeah, so- and that was called hijinks, which. Mm-hmm. You still, people still stop me on the street and say, Hey, I remember, you know, when you did that, we were at the Masonic temple for the long, for that was where most of our run was, was in this giant old dark ballroom uh, at the Masonic temple. It was great. It was a cool space, but, um, yeah. So Mark, when did you like get interested? You, you, talked about high school you would go see these shows is that something you just got gravitated to early in your life you know middle school were you the class clown or what what kind of got you going in this this comedy improv uh world um yeah i think i was a bit of the class clown i don't know that i was i I didn't i don't know that i was always on like the way that some class clowns were, but I, you know, I like to be funny. I like to be, um, and I was a fan of comedy forever. I mean, I, 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 I probably told Eric this, but I, I got to be the judge at my elementary school. This must've been, I mean, we could probably figure this out, but 
fourth or fifth grade, or I was probably older at the, the, the elementary school. So probably fifth or sixth grade. And I got to be the, the student judge at the talent contest. And I called myself Velvet Jones and I uh, impersonated, I impersonated Eddie Murphy's character, Velvet Jones, at, in the sixth grade. And there were a lot of complaints. I don't know if I even asked permission. I just, I just, and, and I think the teachers who were in charge probably didn't know who Velvet Jones was. And, and for so, people who are listening who don't know who Velvet Jones is, he's a pimp. <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, he was the a character that Eddie Murphy played. I don't even remember the Velvet Jones sketches that much. I just remember his persona and his, oh, he was... It was just well, so funny. Let me refresh your memory because his big thing was he would he had a book how to be, <laughs> I a, be a I think it was I wanna be a hoe, isn't it? It was. It. <laughs> so I'm sure you yeah. dropped that one on your classmate. <laughs> yeah. I probably didn't even know what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, the faculty's just horrified. <laughs> yeah, and I I do I I mean I remember. It was a packed house. It was, <laughs> there were a lot of, I don't know. I'm, I'm turning my, this fan off. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I was, I liked comedy early on. I watched Saturday Night Live, you know, when I was in the fourth grade and, um, or younger. And I, I just, I love that stuff. When did the kids in the hall start? How old were we when the kids in the hall? It was definitely later. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. Even. But you were a big Kids in the Hall fan too, right? Big, yeah. It was, yeah, one of those things where I, because we had to kind of seek that out. I don't even know how I got it because were they on? Were they on network television? I think they were on HBO. <clears throat> okay. Well, so I probably found big- somebody with HBO to watch it because I oh, I didn't have HBO. Right, or you did that thing where you took the dial and you got it right exactly <laughs> in between the two channels. Uh, you, do you remember that? Uh, I, I, I know that people would do weird things with their cable boxes, and, yeah. and I just thought that it was a, a le- urban legend. But No, it's true. It worked if you had a nice <laughs> matchbox. Uh, so, but it's interestingly, both of those are sketch comedy where it's kind of written and you ended up doing more of the improv. Have you ever done much sketch comedy or has it always been improv? Yeah. When, when we, so after I, after I graduated and moved to Spokane, um, after I graduated from college. So this is sort of the second time that I've moved back to Spokane um, or moved to uh, the first time was the first time I'd moved to Spokane. Now this is after college. I, I tried to start a company that was a Spokane chapter of unexpected productions. Um, and there was a lot more involved with that as far as being a business owner that, I knew nothing about. Um, And so we just, we did some improvised shows 
for a while. And then we opened, we found, or I found, I got connected with some people who actually knew how to do some of that stuff. And we didn't um, deal with paying unexpected productions for the name or anything. We just started our own nonprofit theater company called the Blue Door Theater and opened, um, you know where the Brooklyn Deli is? Yeah, you were were on the back side of that, right? Yeah, we were on the back side of that. And that we, we, I mean, I was, I was in charge of what we did. And so, and I wanted to do more sketches. So we would do these shows that were a hybrid of sketch comedy and improvised comedy. Okay. And now you basically don't do much improv at all. You've moved to comedy. What I, is that, would that be fair to say? Yeah. I, um, I mean, even then, and even the, the, the idea of doing sketch, I think I'm just, I'm lazy. That's part of it too. Uh, I'm creatively, I am pretty lazy. I mean, improvising kind of ran its course. I don't, I, I think that's true for a lot of people that they just don't, it just doesn't hold their interest for years and years and years. Uh, there are some people for whom that's not true, but even the people who have been doing it forever, they don't do it on a weekly basis. A lot of them. I mean, there are some, there, there, there are even some people at um, the Blue Door Theater now who um, I think who I was in the company with it in uh, Seattle and they're still doing it. And so I'm not saying that that's always true, but it's also not that unusual for just, you know, improvising it. it why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think it runs its course? Um, I don't know. I think it starts to feel a little formulaic, even though it's, you know, claims to not be at all. And, um, cause there are a lot of rules in improv that people don't realize, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and it is, it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of have these magical moments with people that you, uh, that you've worked with quite a bit. And then once you realize how difficult it is to hit that again or or you know then it's it's less interesting to try to work back to that point so i think i just i did some real stuff that i i felt like i was a part of something magical and then it just it felt like i wasn't a part of that anymore that was harder to attain maybe because of what was going on in my head as much as you know Probably not who I was working with. Just well, and, and no. maybe your your level of what is magical went higher and higher each time too. Just as you got better and better at it. Yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, I I have a friend that I Pat Thomas who I improvise with, and I I love improvising with Pat. I think it's a lot of fun, but I also like the stakes of the performance, and I don't. I'm less interested in improvising knowing that it's 
probably not going to well, go as well as I want it to. <laughs> and so I'm just not willing to take the risk. I don't know. It's, it's funny. I've just kind of lost that love and feeling. Sure. You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Women's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. Invited to cruise Americana Avenue with me, Jim Tate, in your car or at the office, each Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. You'll hear the best in progressive American roots music in a multitude of styles. It's Americana Avenue on your radio station, KYRS. Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting Give KYRS to 44321. That's all one word Give KYRS to 44321. Art Hour receives support from Saga, the Spokane Arts Grant Award. Information online at spokanearts.org. If you would like to listen to any of our old shows, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts by searching for Art Hour. So now with COVID, um, with a lot of the, the live streaming of you know like music performances and things like that, and you've been doing a few um, like emceeing and some comedy bits uh, with through the Needle Burrito series like that. I mean, is that something you thought about just doing like a, like a comedy show, strictly comedy, whether it was sketch comedy where you write out the material and recruit your other comedians to perform? Do you think that would go over well during this period of isolation? I, I love the idea, but I am lazy. I don't <laughs> want to do that. I don't want to... Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm lazy. I'm not very good at direction. I'm, I'm not good at telling people that what they're doing, uh, isn't funny and that it could be funnier if they change something. I just, I'm terrible at that. I'm not a good manager. I think I have a good, you know, I probably, I, I think I have a good eye for it and, and 
I, I, you know, I, I can explain why I think things are, are funny, but I'm bad at criticizing other people. And uh, I mean, I'm good at it secretly, but when I have to actually <laughs> tell them to their face, I'm, I, I'm just terrible. Well, you say you say you're lazy, but you just did. How long was your last comedy set? Was that a half hour? No, I think it was. It was. <laughs> I like to think that it was fifty minutes, forty, <laughs> forty, forty to. I think it was. It was longer than a half hour. <laughs> now that that's a lot of material to write, though. So, what is it about comedy that makes you, I guess, less lazy, or what inspires you to write such a long set? Um, there, that was a few things. I mean, the idea of writing a long set has always been kind of a goal, you know, a bucket list thing. Maria Bamford recently, um, released a book. I think it was just an audio book. I don't think she wrote it. I think it was just something that she, maybe not, I don't know, but she, she released this thing that was like, the title was to an hour of comedy or something like that. And so that was part of it where she did a really good job in that. Uh, I mean, it's not, if you're a Maria Bamford fan, you should check it out. I don't know that it was great advice, but I, I idolize her and I think she's really, I think she's something else. And she was so good at encouraging you to fail at, um, at, you know, doing a longer set that I was like, yeah, I really want to, I want to try to do something longer. Um, and what else about that? I mean, part of it is that that's sort of how the sets are going at the, uh, during the live stream, you know, people aren't going to pay five bucks just to watch 15 minutes of comedy or I, you know, maybe they would, but, um, and it was just me and, and then a band. So, so that, and, yeah, oh, go ahead. You go. Say, so you did that long, uh, 50 minute, 45 minute, 50 minute bit, and you didn't have a live audience, right? I mean, you're just there doing, that. I mean, what was that like as a comedian to actually do that in that kind of <laughs> atmosphere? Well, we've established that I'm lazy. I know that I keep <laughs> saying that, <laughs> but, but, um, that's kind of, it's a perfect thing for me because I have an assignment. If I get an assignment, then I, I love it. Cause then I have, I'm forced to, to do it. Um, and so I like it when somebody says you have to do 40 minutes, then I'm totally into it. And I, um, I'm more excited about that than if somebody said do three minutes. Three minutes, I think, would be much. I probably would just say no if I had to do a three-minute bit because I I don't know. I, I have no idea what I would do in that time. But 40 minutes, I, you know, I think I can I can get into that space and 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 enjoy it. But three minutes, if I had to do three minutes, I would be so scared that I would. Well, if you had to do three minutes, I mean, and this is going to come out sounding wrong to people who don't know what where I'm going with this, but three minutes, you'd have to have jokes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and your comedy is a lot more of, 
uh, st structured narrative in a way. Um, but at the same, how would you describe, I mean, we were talking about before we started recording that, you know, if people come expecting Jeff Foxworthy or something like that, I mean, they'll, it's not that. What, what no. is your comedy like? How would you describe it? And then maybe actually after you describe it, maybe bring us in because we have a clip that you brought for us and we're going to play that. So maybe you could describe your comedy and what we're going to hear in this clip. <laughs> maybe you should call it an album side instead of a clip. It's a really long clip. Uh, maybe I can set it up in a way. But, but I mean, I think that speaks to what we're talking about is that the only clip I could come up with was almost eight minutes long. So... Um, I, I think I do like people to be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I, I really like the idea of, of, um, having a bigger joke or story and then finding all of the ways that I can make it funny within itself. Um, and I think that's just how I work too, is I'm not coming up with premise after premise after premise i come up with something that just kind of will kind of you know people will be mildly interested in <laughs> staying with me for a period of time and then i like finding the jokes within within that um so that's i don't know if that answers your question it, it does it does now tell us some um, what we're going to hear coming up um, well, I'll try to explain it in a way that will allow you to shave four minutes off because um, <laughs> the setup is really long. Um, but I, one of the things in that environment of the virtual environment that I wanted to comment on was the, you know, there is no live audience. That's the, <laughs> and so I wanted to make fun of the fact that there wasn't a live audience somehow. And so I did that by um, uh, incorporating heckling. And the heckling is something that would only be possible if people were there. And so, you know, it was a long process of like, well, do I let people heckle me in the chat? Do I, uh, and that sounded horrible because I don't, you know, that's just too much of a wild card. So I wanted some control. And um, so then I thought, uh, you know, I thought, oh, well, maybe I could control the heckles somehow. And so that became a joke is that um, I would I would allow people to heckle me and I kind of pat myself on the back that I am uh, throwing myself out there, even though the, the, I know how I'm going to get heckled. Um, and this is a good example too. I don't know. <laughs> See, I don't know how much time I have to talk about this or anyway, but it doesn't there, matter. We got as this much is, time as we need. This is, this is a good example where, so I thought it would be funny if I set up that, people think that they are going to vote on some on some particular heckles like your mom you know uh or you suck or just some like stereotypical heckles that you would hear so i i try to give make people think that that's what they're going to do but then i tell the audience that they're going to vote on particular heckles and again hoping that my audience thinks that i'm going to throw out these cliche heckles 
And then one of my favorite jokes in the whole thing is I say, okay, so here are the heckles that you get to choose from. Heckle A, heckle B, heckle C, and I go all the way to H. And it's <laughs> such a stupid, it's so stupid, but that is so funny to me. <laughs> the idea that, first of all, the heckles are just like letters that they get to choose from. I don't even tell them what the heckles are. And then that there's such a long list is dumb. And I, I mean, it's obvious too. It's a funny joke too, I think, because I give so many letters and then it's obvious that I only wrote three because <laughs> the rest of the joke, <laughs> I mean, the, the premise is that Norman is heckling me according to what the audience wished, but this is really hard to explain. Um, but he is saying things to me. Norman is, you know, putting on the show and he's my son. He's, he is actually my son and he's reading the heckles to me. Uh, and I actually worked on this with a friend of mine that I, that I, uh, my friend Matt Olson, uh, at the market theater. He was a guy that I improvised with and he's a, one of the funniest people, uh, you'll ever encounter. And so I worked this out with him and I landed on what if I say things that I really care about, that I really do feel bad about, uh, as far as a parent, and so Norman was confronting me about things that I truly regret. And this is really interesting because Norman said he couldn't sleep. And I mean, serious, like it, I picked things that spoke true <laughs> to Norman to the point where it kind of, it's, it's haunted him a little bit. And wow. I think that's really cool, you know, and because when I thought of that, when I thought of the joke, and and got to that point, I was really excited because to me that's, um, I don't know, it's just this reality to it. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, I don't know if that's set up what you're about to hear. But... Well, that sounds hilarious. Let's listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, another elephant in the living room that I'm going to confront, and that is that although I am internationally recognized as a stand-up comedian, if I haven't mentioned that yet, locally, I haven't done this very much. And I would imagine that there are some local stand-up comedians who are kind of put off by my presence here. You know, the audacity of me doing as many minutes as, as I have. And um, so I, I want to confront that head on and show that, you know, prove my mettle, like show you that I've got some chops. Okay. And, and, and I would imagine that the number one criticism is that I don't have to deal with a live audience. You know, this is a controlled environment. So I am going to open this up to some heckling. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to tell a story as if I'm a stand-up comedian telling a story. And while I do that, you guys are going to vote on a number of heckles via chat, okay? And Norman is going to tally the votes in the chat, 
And once there's a clear winner, he is going to verbatim open and read that heckle exactly as it appears, okay? So, uh, you understand, I'm going to tell a joke. I am going to, uh, you guys are going to vote on which heckle you do. At some point, Norman is just going to interrupt me with his heckle, and then I will, being the professional that I am, handle it, okay? So, here are your options for the vote. Heckle A, heckle B, heckle C, heckle D, heckle E, heckle F, heckle G, and heckle H. Okay? So I'm going to give those heckles now to Norman. Please don't start the voting until I start telling my story. It has to be timed, you know, it has to interrupt me. So don't, don't start the voting yet. Okay, I'm going to get the heckles to Norman. Okay, we're going to start, start the voting. Okay, so, uh, so anyway, my wife and I, uh, uh, so just count the votes, Norman, and as soon as there's a clear winner, then you can interrupt me. Okay, so... Uh, my wife and I haven't always lived where we've lived. We used to live in a house on uh, West Central. And there was a, um, we didn't really have many problems with it. Um, uh, but then eventually, like the you always give me financial advice, even though you can tell that I don't want it? What's that? How come you always give me financial advice? <laughs> <clears throat> How come you always give me financial advice even though you can tell that I don't want it? Well, um, first of all, you know, I'm your father and I see you go through the world and I want what's best for you and I think that some sort of Financial stability is important, but I don't, you know, I think that financial stability is something that you can create on your own by doing a few simple things like I've talked about. And I want the future. I want the adult world. When you get into a position where you want to do something, I want the adult world to be comfortable allowing you to do it by giving you, you know, some credit and, uh, and I guess it's, it's also because I love you. And so I was in the bathroom. I'll spare you the details. But I was in the bathroom, and all of a sudden, the water started coming up uh, from okay, backing okay, up in the then, then how come when I was a kid, you would always get me Lego sets from Santa, but instead of just putting them out, you would assemble them so that I wasn't able to? Will you say that again, please? I'm sorry, sir. I couldn't hear you. It's just how come when I was a kid, you would always get me Lego sets from Santa, but instead of just putting them out, you would assemble them so that I wasn't able to? Well, it was a family tradition. I mean, my, my parents... When, when Santa came for me, my parents would set up the toys and almost make it look like Santa had been playing with the toys. And it was something that 
I just had this sentimental attachment to, and I wanted to share that with my own children. Uh, you know, as a father, I thought that was something that you did. So, you know, and, and I mean, just beyond that, it's because I love you. I love you, Norman. So come to find out, uh, there's a pretty serious plumbing issue in the house. And uh, we had to find, eventually have somebody come out and like stick a camera down. Yeah, and, but... Yeah, but you didn't think that would interfere with what makes Lego such a great toy for childhood development? Don't you think that interfered with my ability to learn from my mistakes? My ability to follow directions? My ability to learn how the pieces physically went together? My, my ability to feel the pride of accomplishment? My ability to enjoy the toy? I've never really thought about that until now. Yeah, and when I think about it, you know, I think that's kind of, it's been a flaw of my fatherhood. Like, maybe I didn't let you fall down enough, you know, learn from your failures. Sometimes maybe I, I bailed you out too much or didn't let you experience the world the way that you wanted to, but the way that I thought you should. I'm sorry, buddy. I love you. Sorry, then as we... <laughs> oh, God, that's great you know that was that was one the show uh through norman's project right with the uh, needle burrito mm -hmm. yeah yeah christy and i actually tuned in for that that and that was funny and it was kind of it, it is an interesting dynamic you have with norman <laughs> through that whole thing it was uh pretty cool yeah that became a motif while i was writing it like he didn't know what he was doing. And so I made him do things that he wasn't comfortable doing. Even in the, like, even in the, the clip, he, like, he didn't pause long enough. I was, I, in my head, I was pretty critical <laughs> of his performance, but it's so mean of me to do that because I mean, he had no idea what he was doing. I did it to him three times over the course of the show the and the first one was talking about my like lust for his grandma i don't know <laughs> if you remember that <laughs> but i had him read a dedication uh to his grandma and in it i insinuate that i've had strong like amorous feelings for his grandmother <laughs> so yeah, silly yeah i could just see what's going through norman's head that's hilarious well he could barely get it out i mean yeah, he was giggling yeah. so hard he could barely read what was on the page <laughs> oh, that and that's so another thing that i've done up more than once is incorporate my mother-in-law into the show and that joke i wrote half hour before i went on so i added that joke when i heard that my mother-in-law was going to be listening because when I was at the comedy, uh, the Spokane Comedy Club, um, I did the same thing. 
where I, I, I acted like I was looking for a volunteer and I can't remember how I set that up exactly. But I was like, is there any, anybody in the audience who is my mother-in-law or something like that? <laughs> um, and brought her up on stage and then the other comedians brought her up. It was really funny. So that's become this thing. You know, Mark, when we started, when, again, when Eric asked the question, one of the things, uh, I mean, you're most noted for, for somebody that doesn't go to comedy shows, are your commercials. And I'm curious to know how much uh, of your input is involved in those commercials, whether it's the writing, any of the directing, or, um, I mean, just maybe your recent ones with the, you know, the Porsche and your, and the officer, like kind of what goes into that and, you know, what, what's the process, you know, to finally get it to its finished product? Um, I mean, John Beckler is the guy who writes them. He works for, or he owns Hannah Advertising in Coeur d'Alene and they're pretty good always. Um, some of them, I don't have the opportunity to do a whole lot. Others, you know, he'll just kind of get me to play with them for a long time until we get to something. Um, I mean, it is one of those things where I know that I've succeeded when John's laughing. Um, and so because he's not very forthcoming unless he does genuinely think it's funny. So, um, which is good. I like that about him. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but we, it's a little of both, you know? And Um, it take very many takes to go through that to actually come up with your, the one that they keep. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we do so many that I don't even know. It could be the second one that they took, but, um, you know, and nowadays you can take so many takes and it's not really that big of a deal that, you know, you can, and they can put them together in such a way, but, but it, it usually takes us a little while to land or sometimes it takes us a little while to land on the joke or the wording or, you know, and the whole crew gets involved. I mean, everybody makes the people who have been a part of that group, they all make suggestions and um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned earlier from your first improv group, people would still stop you in the street uh, years later, but I've been with you um, in town and um, that happens so much. Mm -hmm. And it's not really a question, but I want to say it would drive me nuts. The amount you get stopped and you're always so gracious with people. Um, my favorite one was when somebody said, Hey, you look like the Northern Quest guy. And you said, Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember with- having a little bit of that uh, um, starstruckness in, in, in the way when I first got hired at LC and, and I'm walking <laughs> and I'm looking at, Is that Mr. Gravity? Of course, that was back in the day. <laughs> And then, oh, watching you, and then watching you teach class too was kind of an, uh, an, you know, people ask me, well, what was that like watching Mark teach? And I'm going, well, I found it, you know, really funny because I mean, you could actually probably just stand there and maybe 
look a certain way. And I, w- I would start laughing. But I know you would fire out a few jokes and some of your kids, it would be just like going over and then, then you <laughs> yeah. would go with whatever that look is. But that, so I remember um, Oh, go ahead. You go, Mark. Oh, do you remember? <laughs> I feel like Chris Farley talking about my own performance. Uh, <laughs> but the joke um, from that recent set where I pretended to be frozen. So it was a, you know, I, I didn't, I said I was going to do an impersonation and this is an impersonation of somebody. Oh, who right. yeah. That was, I did that in class. Like that was, I, I, I created that joke in front of my classroom and it, you know, and then altered it for the show, but. And, uh, and the response. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was good. I remember uh, years ago when you did uh, the medium fluffy commercial, you had a woman follow you through um, Fred Meyer kind of, wasn't she whispering medium fluffy to you over and over? Uh, She wasn't whispering. She just, her voice, she was kind of, she kind of had this husky voice and she was, (laughs) she was in the, um, the wheelchair, the cart thing that you get at the door. And she was just going at the end of the aisle. So she was far, far away. <laughs> but she would kind of, it would be like, mm, medium fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had, have you had any other weird uh, experiences with people? Uh, I mean, if you can't think of one, uh, my favorite one was, do you remember Forrest? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you remember it better than I do. Well, oh, maybe said, correct me. Well, first of all, we, that guy's never going to get laid. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we were, uh, Mark and I used to be in a band, the Camaros, and we were waiting outside, and a, a guy named Forrest walked up to you and said, uh, Hey, you're the guy. And he's just this wiry guy and super energetic. <laughs> you're the guy in them Quest commercials. And Mark, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my old lady was in the hospital and we were sitting there and we were watching you on the TV and we watched that commercial. And I turned to my old lady and I said, that guy's never going to get late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, Which, people, people, I, I've had some weird ones, you know, it's, it's strangest when they're kind of insulting but very rarely does that happen. But I just can't believe that people <laughs> are like, oh, that new one isn't really very funny, you know, that kind of thing. People just, say that to you? Yeah. I mean, it's not very often. They're, they're, yeah. Most of the time they're really funny uh, and nice and, you know, they're, they're, they're cool. And, uh, but right now they want to, like, hug you. You know, I've, been, I've had people initiate hugs and like during during the pandemic pandemic yeah and it's especially in stevens county (laughs) (laughs) um but you know which is not appropriate and uh and it's when i talk now it's really obvious because people don't recognize me so much with my mask on Mm. but as soon as i talk then you know yeah. yeah. Well, and I also, one of the things that um, you probably don't get to talk about too much is uh, the fact that you won a poetry hollering contest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I 
That's right. I won a poetry hollering contest. <laughs> Can you tell us exactly what a poetry hollering contest is and maybe give a little background on this? Um, I was a student at Spokane Falls Community College. There was an eccentric uh, philanthropist in Newport, Washington uh, named Willie something. Uh, he had a volleyball league that would play in his hayfield. Um, and he was having a poetry hollering contest in Newport in Willie's Hayfield. It was advertised in the Spokesman Review. Uh, the prize money was good. And I went and entered the contest and won. Now, <laughs> That's in a nutshell. Yeah. What I always find interesting is, uh, so you, how far out in the field did you have to go to holler back at the judges? It was 50 yards, and it was like three drunk attorneys sitting at one end. And then there was a quartet from the Spokane Symphony that he had hired, and they were playing uh, to start things out or during intermission. And it was really windy. It, it was so, such a bizarre, but one of the coolest, you know, weird things I've ever done. Um, not you know, and I won, so that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and the poem was remind me again. Uh, I I believe it's the Russian dance, which is a painting, um, Dans Russe, by uh, William Carlos Williams. Yeah, I remember my students used to love it when you would come into my class and holler <laughs> that to them. So uh, I'm sure any, if anybody's listening, they'll they'll remember that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and then I just I mean, last thing I want to talk about. So we were in a band for a while. And we did a couple records. Um, what how did you I mean, because, you know, you've you've kind of dabbled in a whole bunch of stuff. How did you decide to become kind of a singer type songwriter type thing? Um, well, I've always liked music, uh, and I like the song songwriting was fun. My, I think if you look at the songs that I wrote, there's, there's humor in a lot of them. I like being in front. I liked being the front man. I liked, I liked performing. Um, I, you know, as soon as the show's over, maybe that's not necessarily the case. I'm not the typical front man because as soon as the show goes, it gets over, I go and hide in the corner or, mm -hmm. you know, but I like being during the show. I like to be in front. I liked writing lyrics. You know, I loved hanging out with you guys, obviously. And, um, yeah, did that, does that answer your question? It does. And which kind of gets me into the next question because You've, you know, you've done music, you've done comedy, you've done improv, you've done poetry hollering. Is there something coming up, something like that, that you have maybe a plan for or something that you thought that you've always wanted to do and you've, you've not quite attempted it yet? Um, is there something new on the horizon maybe? Just counting the fact that you're lazy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. I, those... Anything where the stakes aren't very high, I'm more likely to do. But I would say I'm really into my weird comedy sets that I'm doing like two or three times a year. When when I get an idea and I develop them 
I really like it. So I hope that I get to continue to do it. I also liked the challenge of doing it virtually. And if, if I have to do that again, <laughs> if I see, listen to me, if I, if I get to do that again, or, you know, I might think about doing that again, I should say. Um, and I'm not hinting at my son to put me on stage again. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks, Mark. I'll see you uh, in the hallways. Yeah. Okay. Pleasure, thanks, Mark. Thanks, you guys. You I, I hope that was okay. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. It was fun. Okay. All right. Take care.